I want to take just a moment this morning and speak to you from a pastor's heart. In just the last 24 hours, there's been this remarkable onslaught. I don't know what else to call it, but it's really stretching out more than that of small little things that taken by themselves where you would just say, this is coincidence. I came in today and the, one of the televisions wouldn't come on. I came in early this morning, there was a note from Sam that all of the Wi-Fi had gone down yesterday and we were unable to print the bulletin in its normal format. Just little things, right? I got down off a mountain where Judy and I had taken a day apart to have some recreation and celebrate an anniversary. And there was a phone call, uh, a text message actually, an email, and then I followed it up with a phone call from the assistant to our uh, consultant on the preschool. And our consultant, who we've had a wonderful relationship with for the last year and a half, was taken in for emergency surgery early Friday morning. And when we first got the word, she was in very serious condition. It's been upgraded to guarded, and she's been able to speak with a family member or two. But this is somebody who's been a member of our family for the last year and a half. We consecrated the AIM team, and then one of our AIM team members was immediately uh, overwhelmed with a physical condition. And, and I could go down the row and speak to each one of you, and you could have something you could tell me right now that's more than just the normal little bit of movement of the needle, more than just the ordinary warp and woof. Why am I talking about this? Because churches are not only physical creatures. And the people who lead churches are not only rational creatures. Churches are first and foremost spiritual creatures. And I have watched over the years of my ministry people move in two directions whenever there's a set of circumstances like this. On the one hand, the very rational and cerebral say it's just coincidental, it's just circumstantial. Don't pay any attention, we'll get through it. At the other end are the ones who set whatever hair they have left on fire and in all kinds of superstition begin to say, we're under attack, we're under assault, we're being attacked by the devil. And I want to tell you that the truth lies somewhere in between those two extremes. Even the truth about Funko. We have got to bring the very best of our effort as a congregation who prays right to the front of our ministry right now. Because we are beginning to tinker with things that those spiritual forces which are arrayed against the church will not want to allow to happen. And this is real, my friends, my brothers and sisters. The spirituality of the church has everything to do with whether God can move us forward or not. We have got 
to learn how not just to have you pray and you pray and you pray, but we have got to learn how to bring our hearts together in one accord and to pray for the things that God will have us do, to pray for our direction, to pray for God's leadership, and to pray for our faithfulness to follow. I sat when I was with Lift Ministries in the sanctuary of a church where we were having a 21-day prayer vigil. And some handful of people came in over the four hours that we were there, and the pastor was sitting at the back, and I saw the pastor shake her head like this, and I walked back. I said, come on outside with me for a minute. I said, what's on your mind, pastor? She said, we sit for three and a half hours at the ad board meeting talking about nothing. And these people can't sit for five minutes in the sanctuary praying. I said, well, what do we do about that? She said, I guess we keep praying. <laughs> There's a season and a time for everything in the life of the church. Right now, I'm asking you, as your pastor, to make this a season of prayer. Make this a season of prayer. We're going to come to our prayer time in just a few minutes, and I promise you we're going to reflect on the Scriptures now. But as your pastor, I want to tell you, our adversary is perfectly content to let us be a church that declines in numbers, never makes a stir, never makes a wave, is never visible, and that can never be noticed here in the circle in orange. But the minute we start to do the work of God, we will start to bump into conflict or trouble. We'll have the old fight of over nothing that lasts for generations in the church, or whatever you want to call it. But we can break through. The only weapons arrayed against us are fear, uncertainty, and fear. And if we can break through, our enemy will flee before us. This is a spiritual time for our church. And I want to ask you to take that seriously with me and to redouble your efforts to be a church in prayer. Does that make sense? Yes. So let us be in prayer now. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. Through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, that may have sounded like a sermon to you, but we are actually beginning... Uh, a summer series from the pulpit called Anointed. We'll be looking at the lives in particular of Samuel and Saul and David, three important figures from the historical period of our church. This morning you heard the story of what is often referred to as the, the call of Samuel. It was beautifully uh, given to us by Benita this morning. I want to set a little bit of background about that though. Because Samuel's mother was a woman named Hannah. She was married to a, a righteous man named Elkanah. And Elkanah had two wives, Penea, or Penana and uh, Hannah. Penana had a lot of children. Hannah had none. But she was much loved by her husband, and he used to give her a double portion whenever they had the sacrifice because his heart was for her. So her sister would, or her uh, her the other wife would tease her, tease her unmercifully, tease her all the time because she was not bearing children. And so she came with the family one time to the sanctuary at Shiloh. 
And this Shiloh at the time happened to be the place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. Jerusalem had not yet been founded as the city of God, as the city of David. It was an ancient city, but it did not belong to, in, our, in our history and in our uh, lives the way it does today. So Shiloh was the place to be, and Elkanah went and he made the offering and the sacrifice. Hannah stayed to pray. And as Hannah was praying, she was praying silently, but her lips kept moving. And so after a while, this old priest who was sitting there by the front door of the sanctuary named Eli, he began to look at her and he thought, well, this woman is a little tipsy. And so he told her to go home and drink somewhere else. And she shot back to him, I am not drunk, but I'm asking of God, I'm asking of God to grant me the, the deepest desire of my heart. Of course, the desire of her heart was to have a son, to have someone that she could add to the household of God. And so she promised God that day, if you allow me to bear a son, I will dedicate him back to you and I will give him the vow of a Nazarite. No razor will ever touch his head. He will never drink any intoxicating drinks of any kind, no wine. He will just be your, yours. Eli didn't know that that was the nature of her prayer, but he sent Hannah home. Go, go, go. I'll, God, may God grant to you whatever you ask. And she left with her heart full. And she sings this beautiful song in the chapter just before what was read to us today. And if you read through that song, if you go back and you read through uh, Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 2, you'll, you'll recognize a certain sound in that song, for it is that same song that a young woman named Mary would come to sing when an angel visited. It's a song of bringing down the, the haughty and the proud and the mighty and sending them off with nothing. It's a song about lifting up the lowly and the marginal and those esteemed as forgotten by God. It's a song about God bringing reversal. It's a song about God restoring order. It's a song of God's justice. Most, in, most of all, it's a song about God taking the initiative in a world of human history. All of this comes on the end of a, of a whole season in the lives of the people of God between when Joshua led them into the promised land and the time of kings and prophets would come. We call it the season of the judges or the time of the judges. There's a whole book devoted to the great judges of the Old Testament. People like Deborah and Gideon and Samson. People who, when the equilibrium around God's covenant people had become a little bit unbalanced, were raised up and anointed by God for a moment in order to restore justice and to restore the equilibrium, to set things aright. God was speaking and leading his people and, and often just allowed them to be who they were going to be, but from time to time, the, the, the scales of justice would become imbalanced and then a judge would be raised up to protect God's people from adversaries or to allow God's people to be judged for a time. It's great stuff. The powerful thing about the judges is that they appear on the pages of our scripture for a moment, they open the door, they make their case for the things of God, and then they go away again back to their ordinary lives. Have you ever had a moment when God sought you out and 
spoke to you and said, I need you to do a thing. And in that moment, in that brief moment, you are the, the hands and feet of God just for that time. This is what it was like to be one of the judges of Israel. Now S Samuel comes along. Hannah gives birth. She dedicates the son. As soon as she's weaned, as soon as he has, she has weaned him, she brings him to the sanctuary of God and turns him over to Eli. Eli was an old priest. He was the fourth in line after Aaron, Moses' brother. He was part of the lineage of Aaron. He was a priest of the priests. He had been given all of the secrets, all of the tools of the trade. He was the one in whom God had vested all of the priestly craft. And as Eli grew and got older, he had two sons who saw themselves as in line to take over daddy's business. But they were scoundrels. Now I know it's hard to believe, but once in a while, somebody comes along who's ordained, who's a total scoundrel. It is hard to believe, isn't it? Or maybe you are having no trouble this morning believing that. But Hophni and Phinehas were the sons of Eli. They used to consort with the women who were laying around by the outskirts of the sanctuary. They had this special fork made that they would stab into people's sacrifice because the idea was that you would bring a bull, it would be sacrificed by the priest, and then you and your family would go and consume the sacrifice. It was barbecue. It was the 4th of July. But the priests, Hophni and Phinehas, these sons of Eli, they would stick their fork in it. It had special tines on the fork so that the best, fattest, juiciest part of the meat would stick to the fork, and they say, this is the portion God wants us to have. And they would set it aside as the priest's portion. And then whatever was left was given to the family who had made the sacrifice. You get the idea. They took bribes and promised that God would forgive people. The, no matter how great the sin, if you gave them the right amount of money, greased their palms a little bit, they would give you an absolution. They had totally corrupted the worship of God. What's more, an older prophet had come and told Eli that if you don't shape it up, God is going to correct this. And so along comes Samuel and the story that we had laid before us today. A little boy wearing the ephod of the high priest, laying in the temple, sleeping in the proximity of the Ark of the Covenant itself. And in the night, God calls to him, Samuel, Samuel. And he jumps up, here I am, and he runs to see Eli. Eli, who the scriptures say his eyes had grown dim, but the light of God had not yet gone out. Now, when they say the light of God had not gone out, the author is kind of giving us a two-sided message. For if you're ever in the sanctuary, you'll see that red light up there that's burning all the time. It never goes out. The sanctuary is to be filled with the light of God, and it was Samuel's job as a young assistant to keep the oil in the lamp, and so he would sleep in an area where he could get to it, and if it was started guttering out, he could put fresh oil in the lamp and keep God's light burning. So he thought he heard Eli, and not once, but twice, but a third time, God spoke and said, Samuel, Samuel, and each time Eli said, it's not me calling you, go back to bed, young man. It's hard enough to sleep at night as it is when we get older, amen? 
without some young man running in and wild-eyed saying, what do you want from me? I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. And finally, finally, Eli, God loved the old man, realized what was happening. Samuel, this is the Lord speaking to you. Samuel, this is the Lord speaking to you. And so he tells him, go back. And when the Lord calls this time, say, speak, Lord, for I am here. And Samuel did as Eli instructed him. And God called to him yet again. And God said, now I'm going to do something that's going to make everyone shocked. Because I am going to remove the priesthood from the house of Eli. Because he's done nothing about his sons who are scoundrels. He has watched the slow deterioration of every moral, ethical, and religious boundary that we have, and he has said nothing about it. His time is done. Hmm. When Samuel woke up with the rooster crowing in the morning, the last person he wanted to see was Eli. And so, wouldn't you know it, the first person he encountered there in the sanctuary grounds was Eli. So, Samuel, what did God have to say to you? I don't want to say. You need to tell me, Samuel. In fact, may God do to you whatever you've just heard if you don't tell me right now. And in his purity, the purity of his youth, Samuel said everything that the Lord had said. That the priesthood was being taken from the house of Eli. That Hophni and Phinehas were, done, gone, were goners. And that even Eli himself would soon be coming to his life's end. There was still light in Eli, even though his eyes had grown dim. There was still enough light for him to say, it's the Lord, it's God's call. Let, it, let God do what seems right to God. This is one of the differences I see from the time of Eli and Samuel in our time today. Today, when we hear a displeasing message, we don't say, well, it's the Lord's call. Let us just remember that God is God. We know what we say is, well, if I were God, here's how I'd do it. Let's do it this way, and let's tell God to go down to Starbucks and get us a coffee. I don't want to hear this, so give me another gospel. Well, there, there are actually churches around who will tailor the gospel to whatever you want to hear. And some of them are quite large. But this is a scripture, this is a beautiful scripture that opens up our series, this anointed series. Because it reminds us that the gospel of God, the good news of God, the word of God, the anointing of God passes from generation to generation. It does not reside in one generation like a cul-de-sac. It's a highway through history. And soon enough, our time has come and it's gone, and it's time for the next one to come along. 
Oh, in that day and in that time, may we have enough of the faith of Eli to teach those who are coming after us how to hear the Lord's voice. And then when they hear the Lord's voice, no matter how harsh it sounds in our ears to say, this is God, this is God. It's God's call, it's God's judgment. Let it be done according to the word of the Lord. People often look at this chapter and call it and refer to it as the call of Samuel the prophet. But it isn't just the call of Samuel. It's the story of God's people, including Eli. It's the story of all of us together. We're going to watch the, how in just the space of a few generations, this anointing of God bounces from player to player to player. Because God is the one who is shepherding the people. It's a time for a generational conversation, my friends. I think part of the reason that I have hoped that we'll get this preschool up and flourishing is that in my prayers I see another Samuel sliding down the slide, riding on the tricycles, learning ABCs, and during nap time, hearing God say, Jeremiah, Samuel, Frank, Brittany, Marcia, Sarah. And I hear those little kids saying, here I am. Here I am. Amen.